We are, we have about three weeks left in this series that we've been going through on Sunday mornings called Rooted and Growing. Uh, we're going to, uh, the series is going to carry us up through Palm Sunday and then we're going to um, have our Resurrection Day celebration and after Easter we're probably going to move into the study of a, of a New Testament letter. And we'll talk more about that uh, as we get closer, but we have three weeks left in this series that we started at the beginning of the year where we're exploring what we've called the essential nature of the church. And I've said to you several times that I think that one of the, one of the things that, all the things that happened to us last year, but one of the things is, is the, the question of whether or not the church is essential. That question was presented to us. That question was debated. Uh, online and in media and in our society, whether or not the gathering of the believers was essential for us. And so we've spent time and energy this year opening up the Word to look at the essential nature of the church. All of us make decisions, right? All of us decide how we're going to spend our time and our energy. And all of us have to have an understanding of why we should give ourselves to a church. We're not going to just do something for very long out of simple routine. We are living in a culture today that that has so much to offer us when it comes to our attention. Our thoughts and our minds and our energies continually being vied for in our society. And there is so much that we can give ourselves to. And so if you and I don't have an understanding and a conviction in our hearts about why it's essential to be a part of a church and why it's essential to gather with that church, eventually we won't do it. Because something else will capture our mind and something else will call our attention in a greater way. I think we lived at a time where tradition was enough. That is no longer the case. It's no longer that we can just assume that because we're born in a certain area of the country that going to church and being a part of a body of believers will be the normative way for a Christian to live. So my hope is in every one of these messages that we've looked at, every sermon has attempted in some way to bring conviction from the Word and by God's Spirit about why the church is essential. I hope this pandemic that we have been through is winding down and fading away. But I think the reality is it's not the last. It's not the last trial we're going to face. Certainly not the last trial our children's going to face that will call into question whether or not the church is essential. And I think God has given us an opportunity to grow and to learn and to have faith and to understand why, no matter what it looks like, we must continue to give ourselves to a local church. Today, we're going to focus in on two activities inside of the church community. Two activities that I believe the Word of God shows us are both profitable and necessary for the building up of a believer. And without belonging to and engaging with a local church, these activities will not exist in our lives. As we've been learning the last couple of weeks, Jesus is so serious about our being a part of a church, and He's so serious about us serving one another, that He has taken the step to give us certain divine abilities that aid in that effort. That every person who is a true believer has at least one divine ability that you would not have otherwise, and it is given to you so that you can be a part of building up the local church. And so when we look at these two activities today... When I say that if we, if we aren't belonging to and engaging with a local church, we can't, we can't see these activities in our life. Either we're gifted to do them and we're not going to be exercising that gift if we're not a part of a local church and engaging with that church, or we should be receiving the benefit of these two activities and we won't be able to do that. And those activities are prophecy and teaching. And just to stop you, if you're Visiting with us, or if you're new to Agape, yes, we are Baptist Church, and we're going to talk about prophecy this morning. So let's get that out of the way. Two lenses that I want you to view these activities through this morning. I mentioned these last week. 
When you start thinking about prophecy and teaching, I want you to think of them the same as we do any spiritual gift. Number one, I want you to see it through the lens of the general call that all believers have. I said to you last week that most spiritual gifts are related to some general call that we have in the church. And so we should see it through that lens that I think you will find within these activities something that we're all called to. But secondly, I want us to see it through the lens that some believers will be specifically empowered for these things. That's the point, spiritual gifts. That for some believers in the church, there will be a divine empowerment for these two gifts, prophecy and teaching. So let's start with prophecy. What is the gift of prophecy in the New Testament? And if you are taking notes, if you have one of the worship guides, or if you're someone who underlines in your Bible, um, well, in the, in the worship guide, this part wouldn't be in the Bible, but anyway, in the, in the worship guide, I put New Testament. What is the gift of prophecy in the New Testament? Circle that or underline it. And the reason is I want us to understand there is a difference between prophecy from an Old Testament view and a New Testament view. In the Old Testament, prophets were those chosen by God to speak and write His very words. In the Old Testament, if you disobeyed a true prophet of God, you were disobeying God because He was speaking and writing the words that God had given Him. So a prophet would say, thus saith the Lord, and what he said next was direct communication from God. And so it was written down. And we still have it captured today in the Old Testament. Many prophets who wrote God's words. In the New Testament, that role of speaking or writing God's very words belonged to the apostles. It was the apostles who were chosen to come under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and receive communication from God that would become what we have today, written Scripture. Regardless of what anyone would ever tell you if you happen to fall under the influence of a teacher that says man chose what was in the Bible, the reality is when these councils met, these biblical councils to choose or to to confirm the books of the Bible, they simply confirmed all of the books and the letters that the church had been recognizing for years as directly from God. His Word from the Apostles. The apostles acted under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and what they wrote is authoritative for the church. I'll give you a passage that you can read later. I'll read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the apostle Paul says of himself and the apostolic ministry, we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you, the believers. So Paul says the apostolic teaching ministry is the giving of the Word of God, which is going to work in you to transform you. So in the Old Testament, the prophets were those who spoke and wrote the actual words of God. In the New Testament, it's the apostles. But you still see prophets in the New Testament. You still see prophecies in the New Testament. It is not written down as God's very words. It is not preached or taught as authoritative as God's Word is. It is not the same thing as preaching, although some would teach that. You see prophecy or prophesying mentioned over 30 times in the New Testament, and not any of those times does it ever seem to be associated with the act of teaching or preaching. It is true that a teacher may prophesy, but there are separate acts of prophecy and prophesying that's happening in the New Testament. And although it is not written down as God's very words, although it is not preached as authoritative, it is an extremely important part of the Christian life according to the Bible. So I want to go back to where we left off last week. If you have a Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to spend some time. This is where we left off last week. 
Let me read to us the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 14. Remember, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he says to them, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. If you will, go to verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, you can underline that, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at the most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. If there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. And let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another one sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So let's get a definition of prophecy in the New Testament sense. And I am lifting this from a gentleman named Wayne Grudem, if you're familiar with him. He's a modern-day theologian who wrote a tremendous book on systematic theology. And this is his definition that I believe is right according to the Word. It is telling something in your own words that God spontaneously brings to mind. New Testament prophecy is telling something in your own words that God spontaneously brings to mind. Now, I want you to consider in chapter 14 the word revelation. So look at verse 30. Paul is saying, in a worship service, if you have people with this gift, let two or three of them speak. Let two or three prophets speak and let everyone else weigh what is said. And then he says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first, talking about the first prophet, be silent. What's the point? The point is Paul, when he says a revelation, is talking about New Testament prophecy. He's using that word to describe what prophecy is. What does that Greek word revelation mean? It means something disclosed or something revealed that was previously hidden or obscurely seen. For something to be revealed in this New Testament sense means something was hidden or something was obscured, but all of a sudden, you can see it. It's been revealed to you. And I think this is the key to the definition that we're using for prophecy. It is a moment where God divinely communicates truth to someone's mind. And He does so for the benefit of the church or someone else in the church. So this may come during prayer. You may be praying and all of a sudden God brings something to your mind that you had not previously thought about or that you now have clarity on that you didn't before. It may happen while you're reading Scripture. It may happen in a corporate worship gathering the way Paul is describing. It could be that you're pondering a matter or a circumstance in your life or someone else's life and all of a sudden God impresses you with a thought. And it's so vivid and it's so persistent that you just sense it's from Him. It may not be a brand new thought. It may be a thought that you now have in a new way. Or it may be a Scripture that you've read many, many times before, but all of a sudden in that moment you sense that it's alive and speaking to you and you think that it is being spoke to you for someone else's benefit that you should share with them. 
Let's make some observations about prophecy. Number one, New Testament prophecy is to be eagerly desired in the church. New Testament prophecy is to be eagerly desired in the church. That's what Paul said in the very first verse of chapter 14. Church, Corinth, church, agape, pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now you guys know what that means. If someone says to you, desire these things, but especially this. Look out for these things, but especially this. You know that what that language means is that you should watch out for it or desire it in a greater degree than the others or in a higher way than the others. Paul's saying, want the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. It's interesting. Doesn't say especially teaching. Doesn't say especially wisdom. Those gifts should be in operation, but he says especially prophecy. Corinth was a church that really wanted to speak in tongues. That's why Paul talks about it so much. They really desired these miraculous gifts like speaking in unknown languages. And Paul doesn't tell them it's wrong. But Paul says, I really want you to prophesy. I really want you to have that gift among you. And the reason I'm stressing this to you is because I'm going to acknowledge that prophecy in the New Testament sense offers a lot of opportunities for confusion if it's not handled rightly. If we don't handle prophecy in the way the Bible shows us, it opens up a lot of opportunities for error. But church, we don't run from things the Bible tells us is for our good because it might be filled with error. We follow what God's Word says and we handle it the right way. Because Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, you should really want this in your church. You should really want this in your church. Second observation, New Testament prophecy bears fruitfulness in the hearer. New Testament prophecy bears fruitfulness in the hearer. And when I am emphasizing hearer, I mean as opposed to the speaker. That's what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth. He says, when you speak in unknown languages, you build yourself up. But when you speak prophecy, you build up others. And he tells us in verse 4, three ways, excuse me, in verse 3, he tells us three ways prophecy builds us up. He says, first of all, it's for your upbuilding. That is a word that means spiritual advancement. When prophecy is spoken, it is for the spiritual advancement of the hearer. He also says it is for your encouragement. That means the joy and the gladdening of your heart. When someone in the body of Christ is suffering, when someone in the body of Christ is experiencing emotional distress, Paul says it would be good for them to have a word of prophecy because it is for their encouragement. It's the same word used to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 9. That we walk in His comfort. We are comforted and encouraged by prophecy. And then third, by consolation. Consolation is comfort in trials or suffering. When someone's going through a hard time, we can comfort them with prophecy. But not just for believers. Go back to a little bit later in chapter 14, a passage we didn't read. Go to verse 22. And look at this. Paul's again talking about tongues. He says, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. And then he gives an example. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and everyone's speaking in tongues and an outsider enters or an unbeliever enters, will they not say that you're all out of your minds? I just find that to be funny. Uh, that's just Paul saying, look, 
If someone who's not a believer walks in and all of you are speaking in tongues in a disorderly way, they're just going to think you're crazy. Most of us could go, yes, I could see that. So Paul keeps going. He says, but if everyone's prophesying, if that gift of prophecy is active in the church and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. In churches where the gift of prophecy is rightly used, there will be people who will be saved because of it. Grudem in his book, Systematic Theology, tells a story of a missionary that he knew that went into a church he'd never been into before. He's speaking about mission work. And in the middle of him speaking about mission work, he just had this overwhelming sense that there was someone in that church listening to him who was contemplating leaving their wife. So he stopped. He just said, I, I just need to say that I sense from the Lord that someone here is contemplating leaving their wife. And I, I just want you to know that, that you don't have to do that. And there are people here who will pray for your situation. After the service, someone came to the pastor, an unbeliever who had never been to church in his life and had snuck into the upper balcony of the church and he had just left his family earlier in the week. And he repented and was saved. Charles Spurgeon said that type of thing. Charles Spurgeon, considered by most to be one of the greatest Baptist preachers of all time, said that type of thing happened in his preaching over a dozen times where God gave him in a moment a revelation of something that was happening with someone in the church, and he stopped his sermon. And some of Spurgeon's stories is he actually pointed at them and called them out. I have found in my own ministry that there have been times where someone came in and they heard a word that was spoken in some form, and it was exactly what they needed to hear that day. Sometimes words that were not even in notes. Prophecy bears fruitfulness in the person who hears it. But we need to understand the next observation that New Testament prophecy is not infallible. This is what separates it from the authoritative Word of God. New Testament prophecy is not infallible. That means it can contain error. It's not like prophecy in the Old Testament. And that is why Paul said in chapter 14, verse 29... If you have those who are speaking prophecies, let other people weigh what they're saying. That word weigh means to judge, to sift through what is good and what is bad. The reason that New Testament prophecy can be infallible is because if you're the one who's receiving the prophecy, you're a fallible person. You could receive it and get the wrong impression. Or you may receive that impression and all of a sudden you begin to think through what it probably means for that person. And you could be wrong about what it means. Or your very delivery of that message may be imperfect. You may speak what God gave you as an impression, but you may say something in your speaking of it that is in error. So Paul tells the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20 and 21, he told that church, don't despise prophecies. Listen, if we're honest, sometimes people do that. Sometimes we do that as Christians. We may have had an experience in our life where we were in some type of environment and people gave prophecies all the time that were just really wrong or hurtful or not helpful. And it's caused us to despise them. Paul says, don't despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. We're not told to test when God's Word is spoken. We're told to accept it and receive it. When prophecies in the New Testament are spoken, we're told, test them. Test them and see if they're right. And if they are, hold fast to them. How do we test them? I'm glad you asked. That brings us to the next point. New Testament prophecy is under the authority of God's Word. New Testament prophecy is subordinate to God's Word. It's not on the same level. 
It is not on the same level as right authoritative teaching of God's Word. It is subordinate to that. The New Testament doesn't tell us to obey prophets in a New Testament sense. It doesn't tell us to give heed to New Testament prophecies. It's not equal to the authority of God's Word. Scripture is to be received and obeyed. That's what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You receive God's Word when taught rightly. You don't argue with it. You obey it. Prophecies, we're not told receive them and obey. We're told receive them and test them. And if you find them to be good, and that doesn't mean if you find that you like them, it means if you find that it's in line with God's Word, and it's in line with sound and solid doctrine, and it's impressed upon you by the Holy Spirit that it's right, then you hold fast to that prophecy. I think if someone were to give you a word that they feel is from God, your first test should be to ask, is this in line with God's Word? If it's not, it's, a, it's not a true prophecy. One time I had a... Uh, I was a children's pastor. I'd been a children's pastor for about a year. And we were doing a vacation Bible study. And I was pretty proud of having that title, children's pastor. And I was interacting with someone after the vacation Bible school was over, someone from the community. And um, they just started pouring out about their life. I thought, that's pretty cool. They started telling me that they had left their husband and gotten remarried. But they were sure that God was telling them to now leave their current husband and go back to their old husband. And my first thought was, this actually isn't all that cool anymore. Where's, where's, the, where's the actual pastor? I just pastor kids. We don't cover one sin with another and... There was all types of issues with what she was saying, but it's an example of someone feeling like they know what God is saying, but it not being in line with His Word. We test prophecies by the Word. Then we ask God, if it's in line with His Word, we ask God, reveal if this is from you. God, show me if this is from you. And trust that God knows how to make that clear to you. If we're someone who gives prophecy, I don't think we should ever give a prophetic word that we feel is from the Lord with a, thus saith God. I think our language should be, I think the Lord is putting this on my mind. And I want to give it to you that it could be tested. Or, I sense the Lord is saying to us, and I want to say this so that we can test it and weigh it out. In a church, not all will prophesy, but everyone can ask the Lord for revelations. Not all will prophesy. Paul indicates that in 1 Corinthians 12, 29. Are all prophets? No. Not everyone is going to have this gift of prophecy. Not everyone's going to operate in it. But every one of us as a believer can ask God for revelations. Let me tell you my biggest issue. And I have, I have friends who are what is called cessationists. They believe there are certain spiritual gifts that are not active for today. Let me tell you my biggest problem with that view. Probably my biggest problem is I don't think that you can make a good case of it from Scripture. I actually think it's the opposite. But, but, my biggest practical issue with it is it seems to indicate God still isn't speaking to His people. And He is. He's still speaking to us. Does He speak through His Word? Yes. That is the one true authoritative way He speaks. But He still speaks to us through revelations 
that will be in line with His Word? And why would we want to shut ourselves or other people off from God's voice? You can pray to receive revelations. Because Paul said, I would love for everyone in the church to prophesy. You all won't, but I wish you did. I think Paul's saying, I want as many of you as the Lord will allow to have the gift of prophecy. So church, why, why not pray for that? Why not pray that God would reveal things to us? Why not pray that when we go to read the Word, that God would speak to us in a way that we can understand and see new truths? Not new as in something that we're adding to the Bible, but new as in seeing it in a brand new way. We could spend our entire life mining out truth from God's Word and never get to the bottom of it in our lifetime. Ever. Pray for those revelations that God would speak to us. Should that not be more glorious to us? Should we not be more enamored with that than some show on Netflix? Should we not want to hear from God? And church, pray for the gift of prophecy. If you're bold, pray that God would give it to you. It's up to Him. The Spirit gives gifts as He wills. But pray that it would be active in the church. If not us, pray that someone, multiple people in our church would have the gift of prophecy. Because it is for our good. Listen, sometimes, I said this last week, we lean one of two ways. Perhaps if we're really, really doctrinally sound and we're real intellectual when it comes to God's Word and a student and theologian of the Word, we may really struggle with something subjective like prophecy. Because it's just not tangible. Yet we don't run from what we don't understand. The Bible says, don't despise it, test it. On the other hand, sometimes we lean the other way, and there are people who are tempted to rely way too much on subjective impressions. They would rather receive an impression from the Lord than just go to the Word and read what He's already written and follow it. And Scripture is our only authoritative guide for living. Agape, I want us to be both. Theologically sound, doctrinally solid, understanding His Word, standing in it, and open to His speaking to us prophecies. That Word that's authoritative for us, that is the Word we teach. We don't teach New Testament prophecies. We teach God's Word. That brings us to the second activity that takes place in the church. Teaching. Now, I said to us last week that with some of these gifts, again, we see things that we're all called to. In some way, every one of us as a believer is called to teach. Jesus said, Go into all the world and make disciples. And then he described disciple making this way. Teach them to observe or obey all that I've commanded. Every one of us are called to teach, to make disciples. To share God's Word and teach what we're learning from it and what it says that we might help someone else grow in their faith. But there are some within the church who will be extraordinarily gifted to teach. And that is when they have what is called the gift of teaching. So what is that? The gift of teaching is the God-given ability to understand and communicate biblical truth. It is the God-given ability to understand and communicate biblical truth so that it may be applied to a believer's life. The goal of teaching is not just to fill people with head knowledge. It is to fill them that they might apply God's Word and learn to live it. So let's make some observations about teaching. First and foremost, a teacher should be a student of God's Word. 
a teacher must first and foremost be a student of God's Word. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. This is where Kevin read for us this morning. And I want us to look at a couple of passages in Hebrews 13, beginning with verse 7. The letter to the Hebrews is wrapping up, and the writer, the author, who is not named in the letter, is giving a series of exhortations to end the letter. And one of those exhortations he gives in verse 7 to the church is, Remember your leaders. And he describes your leaders as those who spoke to you the Word of God, that infallible teaching. And then he says, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now that is a loaded verse. I want you to notice that he doesn't say, consider the outcome of their teaching. Consider means behold with attention. The writer of Hebrews says, I want you to think about your leaders and all those people who spoke God's Word to you, and I want you to consider how their life turned out. I want you to consider their conduct. I want you to consider their faithfulness. Do you know who Jesus harshly condemned more than anyone else? Hypocrites. Who are religious leaders who taught God's Word but didn't live it. We are not a New Testament teacher if we are not living God's Word first. One of the things that I've always kind of rolled my eyes at when it comes to pastor theology is there's this thing out there that people say, and, and I know why they say it. I understand this, I understand the reasoning. The reasoning is if you're, a, if you're a pastor or you're a teacher, you should have devotion time completely separate from study prep. And you should never mix the two. So you need to have your time of devotion that's just you and God, and then you need to have your time to study to teach. And I understand what they're saying. You don't want to fall into the trap of just every time you open the Bible, you're just trying to prepare a sermon. But listen, the best teaching is when God has taught you something and you turn around and share it with someone else. Your teaching should be born in your devotion. You should have your time in the Word to learn and become a student, and then you go and share that with other people. I should not be teaching you anything that I am either not doing or I am wrestling with doing. If I'm just coming up here and telling you what you need to be doing or what the Word says you should be doing and I'm ignoring that, then I am that hypocrite that Jesus challenged. And may God give me eyes to see when that happens. Teachers learn to obey and then they teach. A teacher must first and foremost be a student. If you're a teacher, it matters how you're living. Don't be fooled. How, how many pastors, how many teachers in churches have fallen into sin? How many have fallen and it was discovered that they had years, years of hidden sin. How did that happen? Because they were focused on leading everyone else and not being a servant of God first. You must obey before you're qualified to teach. Or you must be working through obedience to be qualified to teach. Secondly, a teacher's authority comes only from the right handling of Scripture. A teacher's authority comes only from the right handling of Scripture. Teaching is not spontaneous revelation. It's an explanation of the apostles' teaching. Right? We just talked about that earlier. You must teach God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells his young protege, do your best to present yourself to God as an approved worker who has no reason to be ashamed because you've rightly handled the Word of truth. Teachers are commanded by God to rightly handle Scripture. Everything they say should be in line with sound doctrine, and that's the only authority they have. As one of your pastors, I have no authority to tell you to do anything. I can give you counsel. 
that I hope is birthed in Scripture. And, and I think the Bible calls us to consider wise counsel, especially from those who are mature or believers. But I have no right to tell you to do anything. But the Word of God has every right to tell all of us what to do. When you get to verse 17, does that strike you? Do you know how many times I've taught on verse 17 in Hebrews 13? Very little. Because even just hearing it read, I'm like, oh man, that seems really self-serving. Obey your leaders and submit to them. What? I mean, even if you've never had a bad leader, just that idea of obey and submit to someone who's a leader, that's just hard for us. Some of us, we've had bad leaders. And now we just really don't understand what to do with that. How does the Bible say that? Because leaders are to teach God's Word, and God's Word must be obeyed. The idea here is that a true leader is teaching rightly God's Word. And God's Word should be obeyed. Not the leader, but the authoritative Word of God that is being handled rightly. Third observation about teaching. A teacher will have a greater accountability before God. I believe... When I say this and when the Bible talks about it, we're talking about someone who assumes a role of teacher in a church. Someone who assumes a position in which they are going to be an authoritative teacher in the church. Pastors, elders, um, or those with teaching gifts that the church allows to teach in an authoritative way. And James chapter 3, verse 1 tells the church, a lot of you are going to want to be teachers but not many of you actually should be. Not many of you should become teachers, James 3.1 says. Why? Because you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. There is a different judgment coming for those who are teachers. There is a more strict judgment that is coming for those who give themselves in a church to a role of teaching. An accountability for what we've taught, but also for the way we've lived. And for the very words we speak. John Knox, who was a member, a leader of the Scottish Reformation, he started the Presbyterian Church in Scotland. John Knox said, I have never once feared the devil but I tremble every time I enter the pulpit. If we are a teacher in a church in an authoritative way and we lose the trembling we feel when we teach, we probably should not be teaching. Because there will be a greater accountability for it. I want us to look at the last part of verse 17. These passages that, I said I've not preached this a lot, but from the very beginning of this sermon series, I felt the need for us to talk about this passage. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So let's pause there. In the church, leaders must sacrifice themselves for the spiritual advancement of those in their care. I think that's what that is saying to us. Church, think about your leaders as those who are keeping watch over your souls and know one day they're going to give an account for that. In the church, leaders are called to sacrifice themselves for the spiritual advancement of those in their care. If you are here and you feel called to be a leader, a teacher, a pastor... Understand, if there's any part of that that is for your benefit, run from it. Because leadership is about giving yourself over and sacrificing your time, your energy, your sleep, what you want to do, your hobbies, your recreation, 
so that others can spiritually advance that God has put in your care. That is what leaders do. That's what pastors are supposed to do. That's what teachers are supposed to do. Let go of their rights that the church might advance. And then look at what else he says to the church. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. He says, if your pastors are in a situation, if your leaders, if your teachers are in a situation where leading your soul is a groaning, it's no advantage to you. He doesn't say it's no advantage to them, but he says it's no advantage to you. Let them do what they're called to do with joy. In the church, I think members should live in such a way to honor the sacrifice of their leaders. I think members of a church are called to live in such a way to honor the sacrifice of their leaders. What does that mean? I thought all week about even what to say to you about that. And here's where I land. For me, the honoring is seeing someone spiritually advance. Seeing someone take all the investment and let it sink in and grow in it. And I think it's an honorable, it's a way to honor your leaders for their sacrifice by listening and studying and growing. And when the church has leaders who joyfully sacrifice for those under their care, and when the church has members that honor the sacrifice of their leaders and let them do that with joy, there is harmony in that church. I think in Hebrews 13, elders are in view. I think teachers are in view, but I believe elders are in view there specifically because elders teach and shepherd the flock. They watch over souls. Some elders, the Bible says, labor in teaching and preaching. But all elders serve as shepherds. The main role of an elder is to help people be shepherded and spiritually advance. In this church, we ask for a lot of your trust as elders. We don't vote on everything. We ask you to place trust in our leadership. And we give you opportunities to speak into who your leaders are. But I want you to know that it is my belief that as we ask for your trust, we do that as people who will be held accountable for what we decide. One day we will stand before Jesus and we will give an account for our decisions. So pray for us in that. There's nobody in this room that wants me to make and the elder team that we have to make right decisions more than I do. Because I'm going to speak to it one day. As our church grows, we want our elder team to grow. We believe here that God chooses elders. We believe God calls people to be elders. And we believe it is our job as existing elders to affirm and confirm what God is doing in someone's life. And so I want you to know that part of what we're doing always is wanting to discern what God is doing in our church. We want to know who He is calling to be leaders, to be teachers, to be ministers, and to be elders. We actually have a written process that we use. When it comes to elders, we want to identify those that God may be calling. We want to mentor those that we feel like we have identified as someone God may be stirring and calling in. And when we reach a place to where we feel like, yes, we can confirm we feel good that God is calling this person, then we want to train them. And we want you, 
if the Lord continues in that process in someone's life to be a part of that training. Even right now, we have different men in our church who are in different phases of what I've just described. We've had people who feel like the Lord may be calling them to be an elder, and we're working with them to identify that calling, mentor them through it. We have men who are in training, who we feel like God has already identified in that way. And this morning, I'm really pleased to, as part of this training for one of these gentlemen, to take the next step of making this known to you as the church, that God is working in their life, we believe. This particular person, God has had in training along with some other people for over six months now. But we believe in this individual's life, God has brought them to a place to where we should make this known to you so that you can now be a part of this training process. We're not announcing to you this morning that this person is going to be an elder. We're not telling you that we're going to vote on it. We will. If the Lord brings us to that spot, that's the final confirmation. The whole church votes whether or not they can identify this person as an elder. But right now, we're making it known to you so that you can be a part of their process. That individual is Rob Ballantyne. When I ask Rob if he'll come up, he's going to share something in just a moment not related to this. And I want him to prepare to speak this morning to you about our prayer ministry. But as I invite you into training for Rob, as we discern and work through for him a calling that we believe may be happening in his life to be an elder, and Rob takes this very seriously, and the fact that he's allowing this to happen shows how serious he takes it. I'm asking you to do two things. One, to pray. To pray for Rob. To pray for us in this process of training. and Let it be that the Lord would confirm this call if it is for Rob. Because we only want it if God's in it, and I know that's true for Rob. Secondly, we want your input. We want you to give feedback. Whether that is an encouraging word or whether that is a word of concern, we want you to speak into that. Again, if the Lord confirms this over the next few weeks and months, the whole church will be presented with the opportunity to vote. But for now, we're asking you to pray and to provide input to us or to Rob about this process. I said to you last week that part of what we're doing right now in talking through serving is talking about the ministries of our church and ways that you can get involved in the ministries of our church. Rob leads our prayer ministry. Last week we highlighted hospitality. We're going to continue highlighting hospitality because I believe that it is a key ministry that we need to have here to welcome Guests and strangers and even members of the church make them feel welcome, and we need your help for that to be a successful ministry. But I've asked Rob to speak about prayer this morning and the prayer ministry that he leads, and I want you to consider it and whether or not the Lord would call you to be a part of it. So would you give Rob your attention and prayerfully consider that which he is laying out to you? Okay. Thank you, David. Uh, I have several things. You know, we have a, uh, uh, an email, uh, prayer address that, uh, we pray for when people have needs. Uh, essentially, when you sign up for the prayer team, you're, you're committing to, uh, pray for that. Uh, you're going to be praying, saying you're, you're, you're going to be committed to praying for the prayer focus, uh, Praying for agape. These are things that, uh, don't think that this is every day, all the time you gotta do, but, you know, where this is a, a, something to be on your heart and mind when you're signing up for this, to pray about it as, uh, as much consistency as possible and to start. I, I, I really want to encourage you. I would love it if everybody would sign up for this because we need everybody's prayers. 
we need each other to pray for one another. And to be able to uh, be a part of this, you, this section of it is no commitment that you don't have to be up front. You're not going to be in front of anybody or, or have to pray in front of anybody or with somebody. This is in the privacy of your own home. And as a church, we're called to pray for one another. And we're just asking that you would be available, be willing to pray for needs that arise, that somebody's putting down on a, a prayer email. Uh, also to pray for the church and this prayer focus, to be a part of this. God has appointed and called you to this place for a purpose, and this is for us to grow together. And in that, uh, I... I give out teaching, encouragement on, on prayer and different things that would be uh, a part of this. And then there's uh, other goals that we're looking for that uh, just in the uh, hospitality team that are talking about reaching out to new people or reaching out to, to people in the church. This is one of the things we want to do in prayer also, that as you sign up, this is a goal. This is an opportunity. This is not something that you have to do, but we want to encourage you to do this is to pick out a, pick out a family and pray for them specifically. You know, I, I confess there's been times that I've thought about in my past where I've had friends and people or acquaintances real close that I thought about and did stuff with them, but did I actually stop and pray for them? And this is just, an encouragement to do that, to get in a consistent basis, and with that, to communicate with them, to to talk with them, to uh, find out what's going in their life, on in their life, what you can pray for them about. And then, as God prompts, you are able to do what David's talking about, to to send a word of encouragement, or maybe even a word of prophecy to them, to, to, to get Scripture, to, to send that to them, uh, then also we have the opportunity. We have a, a missionary, the uh, family, the McMunns, that we are supporting financially and want to support them in prayer. And this is an opportunity for you as, as, as part of this ministry is to pray for them. And not only them, but each ministry within this church. I mean, uh, we have the hospitality team. We have the children's ministry the, the music ministry, just the preaching, the service, the food pantry, different outreaches, GCs. These are things that we're wanting to cover in prayer. Not just the person leading them, but us as a congregation. And then, and even, this is, this is part of it. This is a goal. Uh, my desire, I believe David's is, is that we would have more people coming up here and praying. We have opportunities, uh, or want to have opportunities for somebody that would be willing to come up and voice prayers for our missionaries, for the different uh, ministries in the church. So these are different ways uh, that you can be a part, or how the prayer ministry would work and then just asking for you to sign us sign up for that and i have these sheets they're on the back table has my number and the the uh, email address that you can contact me if you're interested but as i was uh praying this morning if y'all would if y'all got your bible or bible app you can go to first chronicles chapter nine this is something that The Lord just, this is my daily reading today was in just reading through this, reading through the Bible, and I was in First Chronicles 9. And uh, this is chapter, verse 17 says the first two words, the gatekeepers. And it starts naming names. And then verse 21, it says, Zechariah, the son of Meshmeliah, was gatekeeper at the entrance of the tent of meaning, of meeting. All these who were chosen as gatekeepers at the threshold were 212. They were enrolled by genealogies in their villages. David and Samuel, the seer, established them in their office of trust. Let me just skip down to the last or to verse 27. It says, And they lodged around the house of God, for on them lay the duty of watching 
and they had charge of opening it every morning. And just honestly, that was that word, the opening every morning just jumped out at me. And I just couldn't get away from it. And it led me to praying. And it was like God opened up different things in my thoughts of what this I could pray about. Number one, this, this different layers of this, but Jesus is the door to the sheep. And I, I'm thinking of this gatekeeper is watching and guarding the door. And it was like they open up that door every morning. <laughs> Jesus is the one that opens up that door for our hearts to come in and to see him, to know him and to love him. But then in, in prayer, I was thinking about what better way than us to be in the morning, to be up and praying for the people, for the church service, for different ministries in a spiritual sense to open that door that God would move and open in our hearts to, to come into his presence. But then there was the physical aspect. And I thought about when we come into this door, who do we meet first? The hospitality team. And I just, Every aspect of this church and the ministry is so vital. I go back to the prayer focus. We are a city. This, this city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We all work together. We all need one another. Part of this, I, I, <laughs> I just couldn't get away from the hospitality team and thinking they need prayer. They need God to appoint and call people to that ministry, to each and every ministry. And I would like to, right now, I want you all, if you all would, to pray for the hospitality team. And we're going to pray for that team. This is the first, the entrance when the people come into the door. This is who they see. It's an opportunity for them to open the door to Jesus. And I... it. it Let's just pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the hospitality team, for Jeanette Acock as she is heading over this. God, I ask for your grace and your peace and blessing upon her, Lord, and direction and, and leading of that. Father, I ask you... God, I'm asking you to call and appoint those that would serve in that ministry. God, in each and every ministry of this church, that you would call them. That you appoint them. You put it upon their hearts, God. And Father, whoever you choose, however many it is, that will be enough because you are in charge of that. We commit that to you. But God, we ask that you would anoint that team God, that you would, would, would rub up against them with your spirit, with your oil, with your life. That God, as people walk through that door, they would feel welcome. They would feel your love and sense your, your goodness, your mercy and grace. That their hearts would be opened up to receive from you. God, use that ministry, God, to bless others. We ask for your guarding and protection upon them, that you would keep them, Father, that so many times in the morning it's so hard to be full of life, full of that, that, that joy and peace. But God, may you do a supernatural work on them, that they would be filled with that every single day, God. Whoever serves, God, whether they're up front or they're serving in the back, God, where they prepare the food and it is, is just given. The people look at the food, but God, it's, they're doing so much. We ask your blessing on that. We ask you to, to provide and meet that need. And we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. We're going a little longer than we normally do. I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to give you that time back later because I won't, but we're not going to highlight a dozen ministries 
in the next few weeks, probably four. Two internal and two outreach. The two internal ministries that we're highlighting are hospitality and prayer. We think they're that important. Jeanette has a vision for hospitality that is not just greeting people and serving, although that's part of it, but also reaching out to visitors, members we haven't seen in a while, and trying to connect with them. And we need help there. We need help. And this is open for multiple people to serve. The first person that signed up for hospitality last week um, was uh, a younger member of our faith family. And we think that's great. And then prayer. It's the lifeblood of everything we do. Everything here is built on prayer and our reliance on Christ. And we need people to pray. And pray as Rob has laid out this morning. So please think about your participation in both of these ministries or one of them and contact Jeanette or Rob to get more information on how you can get plugged in. So we need your help to see those things happen. Please be praying for Rob in that process. And I want to ask you again to pray for him as we're walking through this elder process with him and training and the other men in the church who are involved in that. But pray for Rob and ask the Lord to confirm that if He is in it. And come to us if you have any encouragement or words of concern that you want to share and be a part of that process. I want to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to end this morning worshiping together and in prayer. I think based on the sermon today, we can pray for gifts of spiritual gifts and gifts of prophecy. We can pray for a good harmony between leaders and members and leaders who will sacrifice and those of us as members who would honor that sacrifice. But the most important thing that we have to think about is our relationship with Jesus. Everything we've talked about this morning It's for the gifts of the church and those who are believers. And if you're not a believer today, if you don't really know Christ, if you've never chosen to follow Him, then it's like some of this stuff may not exactly make sense. I just want to invite you to the starting point today. Would you be willing to see your sin your disobedience before God that we all have, and your need for a Savior, that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead, that He might save anyone who would call out to Him. This morning, I'm not asking you if you've been a part of a church. I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm asking, have you ever come to a place of believing upon Christ for the salvation of your sins? and a desire to follow Him. And if you want to talk to someone about that, if you feel the Lord tugging on your heart, don't leave here without speaking to someone. You can come and talk to Nick, talk to me, and talk to Rob. But come before you leave. and Let us know that the Lord's stirring something. If it's me, I'll get your contact information. I'll get with you later. Kevin's going to come. And He's going to lead us into time of ministry and prayer. If you feel led to come up front and pray in one of the groups Kevin talks about, please do so. But let us all engage in thoughtfulness about God's Word from today and in worship through singing.